0: Welcome to the Highly Objective podcast, where we talk to cannabis industry executives and investors and go into the weeds on recent news. Yay. Okay, today we have Jeffrey Harris, CEO of SpringBig, who recently announced some big news earlier this week to go public via the Tuatar SPAC. Um, so with that, I'll kick it over to Jeff uh, for a quick introduction of himself and SpringBig.
1: Thanks uh, for having me this morning, first of all, and uh, hi, I'm Jeff, and I am the founder and CEO of SpringBig, which uh, is a loyalty and digital communications platform for the cannabis industry. We service both uh, retailers and brands uh, pretty much across every state where it's legal, either for medicinal or recreational purposes, and uh, excited to be here and chat with you.
0: Can you tell me more about, you know, when sort of the idea to start working in the cannabis industry, uh, you know, popped up for you and, and also, you know, along with that, how long soon after did Spring Bay uh, come about?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so the story goes back to, I had started a, a loyalty marketing agency in the late 90s that was designing and managing loyalty and data-driven marketing programs for, for retailers, financial services companies, insurance companies, uh, industries of, of like that. And uh, we had built the business up. The business is based in Chicago. The business is still around. It's still doing well. Uh, I'm still the majority owner of that business, although I'm not active in that business. But in like 2012, 2013, I decided that it was time to start transitioning the management of that business to uh, a professional management team. I felt that, you know, the next phase of, of that business's development would do better under a professional management team. So we started transitioning Uh, the management of that business i happened to have been living in florida at the time um, and although the business was in chicago and the decision i made a decision after we decided to transition the management of that business to decide hey what's next right so i i reached out to my cio from that business and i said hey mark you know i see you know out in the market they're starting to pop up these kind of tablet-based digital punch card systems in like yogurt shops, pizza shops, ice cream shops, where you walk into the store, you type in your phone number, you get a digital punch. So, you know, these systems were replacing the old paper punch card that you kept in your wallet where you got 10 punches and you got a free yogurt. So I said to him, Hey, I think we could do this better than the guys that are out there doing it today. How about we build the technology for this digital punch card system and we start selling it. So he thought it was a good idea. So his name is Mark Horbal. He moved down to Florida. He took The job of working with an independent engineering team to build out this uh, MVP, the first stage of the technology. And we then partnered with another friend of mine who was in the merchant processing business, who had a lot of these kind of types of accounts that we thought would be good targets for this business. And we started selling it. So in in 2014, Spring Big was actually born, but it wasn't born to service the cannabis industry. It was born more to service the mom and pop uh, small business industry. And I know fast forward to 2016, we have a few hundred accounts, probably four or 500 accounts at the time, but we weren't seeing the progress or we weren't seeing the scale fast enough um, You know, to get, uh, actually to get anybody excited, right? We were working hard. We were making good progress on the tech. We were marketing it, but it was difficult to get to the decision maker in the yogurt shop, right? The owner of the yogurt shop is not in the yogurt shop very much. The people that serve yogurt are in the yogurt shop. So we were finding it hard you know, to really scale the business. And the second thing we found was, you know, the subscription, the monthly subscription that we could charge was somewhere between 100 and $200 um, a month. So we felt that if we were going to make that thing go, we would need thousands and thousands of customers. And we were struggling to figure out how to, how to get access to the decision maker to get a buying decision. So, you know, in end of 2016, we're really sitting there figuring out, okay, what are we going to do with this thing? And we look at our portfolio of customers and there were two cannabis retailers on the platform. Somehow they found us. We didn't solicit them and they were spending not a hundred to $200 a month. They were spending a thousand dollars a month. And when we looked into it further, the reason why they were spending so much is because they were, had bigger databases and they were communicating more frequently with their customers than the pizza shop or the yogurt shop would. So we did some more research. We, We had investigated the industry. We were looking into who else might be doing something similar to this in the cannabis industry. And we found that that, at that time, there was only one other company doing it. So we made a decision at the end of 16, that when we came back after New Year's break in 2017, that we were gonna be all in on servicing the cannabis industry. And we were not gonna focus at all on any other vertical other than the cannabis industry. It's not like we were gonna kick other companies off the platform. But we weren't going to actively solicit them. We weren't going to invest time in them, and we were going to be all in on cannabis. So, I guess the best way to describe it is: Spring Big 1.0 was born in 2014. Spring Big 2.0 uh, was born in 2017. And you know, looking back, it was it was obviously a really smart decision on our part to uh, to pivot and focus on the cannabis industry.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really smart. You know, I assume uh, back in that time around the loyalty for. You know, call it retail businesses, but but really the, the ones that sold fast moving goods, you your convenience, the five stars, and the belly, and certainly some of those floaty software companies that, that I'm familiar with, um, you know, certainly mm-hmm. less excitement around them the last few years than there were in early 2010s and you know mid mid 2010s uh, for sure. So Hundred percent. That's amazing 100%. to hear that. Um, yeah, yeah so this, that's, that's that, then,
1: Where where were? Yeah, okay, go, go ahead. I'm sorry no i was just going to say that's exactly we were competing that's who we were competing against we were competing against belly five stars and 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 i think everybody was challenged with the same issue right which is how do you get the decision maker so you know like we decided not to fight in that game we decided to go play in a new game
0: (laughs) right And, and you really have to i think this is something i'd love to touch upon later for spring big but you really wanna go after the, the chains, right? So if you get a uh, yogurt land, you wanna have yogurt land across the US and you don't wanna to sell to one, two, three store locations because that's a tough sell to scale up your customer base. Um, and 100%. businesses are, are probably a bit more volatile as well when it comes to retention year over year. Um, so, so out of curiosity in, in 2016, those two customers, uh, what states were they operating in?
1: They were both in California.
0: Okay. That's, that's where I would have guessed. And, and are they still customers today? And I assume saying much more than a thousand a month itself. If so.
1: um, honestly, I'm, I'm not sure if they're still, I would have to go check if they're still customers today. I think, um, I think 2015, 2016, um, what was going on in California was very different because there was, you know, there was such a, even though there were stores, there was such a large gray market, even though there were stores. So I honestly can't. And back then, we really even weren't focused on, "Hey, do you have a license? Are you legal?" So honestly, I would have to check um, if there's still customers of us.
0: Got it. Okay. Um, I, I figure that also might be the case since it's been a bit a, a time since. Um, so, so walk me through. You know, you've now it's you know, call it December 2016, early 2017. You've decided to focus this as a loyalty platform for cannabis. Um, I think later in December 2017 is, is when you raised the seed round um, right. for Spring Big, right? And, and that's from Green Acre, Capo, and, and Haley Venture Partners. Um, just kind of walk us at that time, since you know it, it's right around the corner of California legalizing in
1: 2018,
0: um, what the pitch that really compelled those two investors were to invest at that time?
1: Yes, yeah, so actually they didn't lead the round. Um, we had someone who led the round. His name is Mike Gamson. So Mike Gamson is a uh, was a senior executive at LinkedIn, and now he's the CEO of Relativity um, in Chicago. And he actually led the round personally. And we obviously were also talking to Hallie and Greenacre, and they came in as well uh, and were meaningful investors in the round. The, you know, what I think was happening then it was still so early, um, and actually. You know the there was another venture capital firm that was supposed to lead the round and just as they were ready to send us the term sheet uh for the seed round one of their limited partners kind of uh hit the pause button for them because you know cannabis was so young and this guy you know who was managing money for state pension funds yada yada he basically said hey you guys can't go invest in cannabis yet even if it's not plant touching you can't go invest in that category so the venture capital firm literally had to back out at the last minute, which was obviously a big bummer because we were working on it for months, right? And you know, and then all of a sudden, okay, now you have this idea of who's going to lead the round, and now what are you going to do? So, luckily, the partner of the venture capital firm was a true stand-up guy, and he said, "Jeff, I feel terrible, but I'm going to help you." And literally, um, I'm in Israel uh, for the holiday, for the Jewish holidays, and I'm I'm there sitting on on a terrace of an apartment that we have there. And I get a call from a number that I don't realize. And I pick up the phone and the guy says, hi, Jeff, this is Mike, Mike Gamson. I got your name from XYZ. Um, I understand you're looking to raise some money to grow the business. Tell me more about it. So we spent about a half hour on the phone. Tell him about the business. Tell him about what we're thinking. Tell him about the strategy. Tell him about the the market opportunity. He says, okay, great. Um, Let me think about it. I'll call you back in a week calls me, literally calls me back in a week, just like he said, we spent another half hour on the phone. Um, And then I think it either was after at the end of that call or one more call. um, He basically said, okay, great. Do me a favor. Take the term sheet that the VC, the VC firm was going to send you, replace their name with my name and send it to me. I'll sign it. I said, what? (laughs) He said, just, yeah, I, I love the opportunity. Let's do it. Um, And it's like, you know, sometimes you just never know where your next, you know, gem is going to come from. And and the amazing, he's been the most amazing partner. And not only that, um, you know, the funniest thing is like he invests, he led the round and then Haley came in and Greenacre came in because all these guys now started coming in. And, and I still have never met the guy in person, <laughs> if you can imagine. It's just, uh, uh, we've become really good friends. He's a great mentor, um, but it, it's that seed round story was, is an amazing story and it's just an amazing lesson which is you know one door closes another door opens and if you have a good outlook um you know good things can happen and it was just uh I mean because I'm sure you can imagine when I got the call from the guy who said hey listen we can't send you the term sheet it was like oh man really I mean I was like you know we didn't have a lot of money um, we were counting on this money so it was a uh it was an amazing uh it was an amazing story for sure
0: yeah. And, 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 you know, so, so it was reported that the seed round, I believe, was 3.2 million. Uh, and you said Mike led it. So does that mean, you know, he, he probably contributed uh, a million or, or so out of the 3.2 million? A, a, a,
1: little, a, little, a little less than that. Yes. Got it. And, and
0: yeah, so, you know, I was looking at Mike's uh, profile and not known to, to have been uh, angel investing at that time on, you know, or, or at all, actually, on his LinkedIn profile. Um, so it sounds like uh, that was a very fortuitous um, connection there.
1: Oh, for sure. And he actually was. He was doing a lot of He was doing a lot of tech investing. He was very invested in the Chicago tech community. Um, yeah. And this VC firm that we were talking to uh, was a Chicago based VC firm. So. Uh, they had good relationships. I think, and I'm not sure, but I think Mike even may be a partner, may be an investor in that VC firm, and that's how we found out about it. And you know, and back then in 2017, you really had two distinct camps going on. You had people that said, "Oh, wow, this is going to be the next gold rush. I got to get into it." And then you had the other camp, which is, "I can't touch it with a ten foot pole." Right. So you had you know two distinct camps and. The challenge, I think, was finding you know the camp that you needed to find who were willing to invest in the in this idea of cannabis back in 2017. So it was you know that was a little bit. But then on the other hand, those people kind of made themselves known to some extent because they they wanted to get into the business. But we were very fortunate. We were lucky. Um, we got some other really good investors, um, you know, early on that were involved in the cannabis industry that helped us a lot. So. The seed round. I think the seed round was the toughest round for sure that we we had to raise. It was you know we were very young. We didn't have a ton of customers. We were truly selling a dream. Um, so that was for sure the toughest round of of all the rounds we had to do.
0: Yep, makes makes sense and typically is. Yes. Um, so going going to the next round. Then you raised that a year later, uh, five million dollars. Series A.
1: Um, you know, what sort of metrics and interactions were you seeing around that time
0: in order to convince? all Yeah,
1: so we were, I mean, I don't have the exact numbers in my head at this point, but we were growing really significantly. Um, so from 2017 to 2018, we just were, we took off like a rocket ship. We, um, you know, we had an offering that was really desired by the, at that time, we were only servicing the retailer. We weren't servicing the brand. We introduced a, a new platform for brands and end of 20, early 21. So back then we were servicing the retailer and we just had a, we had an offering that the retailers um, really were needed and, and they liked our approach uh, to how we not only were building the platform, but how we were servicing them. And, and we were just picking up client, a lot of clients every month. So we saw significant growth. Um, Obviously we were, you know, not making any money yet, but we were, but we were finding significant growth in customers and in revenue. And we were learning a lot. We were learning about, okay, how should we structure these subscriptions? You know, what should the subscription amounts be? What should be included? What should not be included? So it was a true learning opportunity for us, but between 17 and 18, I, I think we tripled or quadrupled. I mean, we just, uh, we just grew so much. So then when we went to raise the A round um, we only targeted, believe it or not, we targeted two, funds in cannabis, that's all, um, to talk to. Uh, We pitched them both. We got term sheets from both um, and we picked Altitude. We thought they were going to be the better partner for us. Uh, And they basically came in with uh, half the round. So they came in with about two and a half million. And then the rest of the round was from existing investors. So we really only had, other than a friend of an existing investor who invested a little bit in that round, we had only one really new investor in the A round. Everybody else was, you know, existing investors that wanted to re-up and double down.
0: Scott, can you tell us more about, you know, why altitude and why you thought they were the better strategic investor?
1: Yeah, because when we, you know, we, you know, I I knew the the partner that I was connected with at Altitude was a, a gentleman by the name of John Trauben, who's still on our board. And I had met him at an ArcView event. Over a year earlier, he had been very early um, into the cannabis industry, so he understood the industry really well. He knew a ton of people. Altitude was investing not only in ancillary services, but they were investing in plant touching companies as well. He had a great network, uh, but more and also just culturally, just uh, you know, personality wise, I felt the fit uh, with Altitude was just going to be a better fit. And you know, sometimes you just feel that you know, you could just work really well with these people. And, and my, my approach, when it came to working with investors and working with board members is I'm a big believer that it's a team game. It's not an individual game. It's not like I'm looking for someone to give us the money and, and then, you know, wait to hear the news, right? You know, I like to work with our investors for them to help us, right? And for them to let me know if, you know, we're doing something that we should be doing, or we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all in it for, you know, for the same goal, we want to try to grow the value of this investment. And, you know, yes, I'm operating the business, but I'm an investor as well. So, you know, I just felt we would be more aligned with Altitude. And it was, it was again, I don't know how it would have been with the other one, because we didn't end up working with them. But it's been a great opportunity to work with Altitude. They've been great partners.
0: Great. And then just, you know, in, in terms of why the other one was one of two that you had identified, was it because maybe the investor had a portfolio of you know, dispensaries that they were invested in. So from a, you know, maybe customer introduction standpoint, that might've been you know, very strategic or, or what might've made that other investor, uh, you know, be a part of that. short list that you have.
1: Yeah. So the, the two guys that we targeted were two that were, you know, very actively investing in cannabis. So they were investing in non-plant, non-plant touching companies and plant touching companies. So the portfolios were similar, similar, um, you know, their reputations were similar. They were both very active in the cannabis industry at the time. They both had a lot of investments in the cannabis industry. So those are the two we targeted because we felt at that point in time having an active cannabis industry investor who understands the industry and can introduce us when, when, when it made sense was right. Um, the you know I think valuations were pretty similar. Uh, I think Altitude had a little bit higher valuation, but they were pretty similar. I think uh, I think Altitude's terms I think were a little bit uh, more op, you know more founder or company friendly. Uh, and then and then when we talked to both of them, I just felt that the fit, the personality fit, would have been better with Altitude. But both both were really solid, um, good investment firms that were doing, that were actively investing in cannabis. So from that perspective, I think we would have gotten value either way.
0: Great. And, and then the next round was a little bit under two years after your Series B was August, 2020. Um, so two things I wanted to touch on is, you know, one, TVC Capital who led that Series B um, had made a, a prior call it Canvas software investment into Growflow about three months uh, prior to investing in Spring Big. Um, and the other part of it being is you, know, you raised it about five months after COVID sort of started. So how did that sort of play into the Series B fundraising process as well?
1: Yeah, so we started we started to try to raise the Series B in December of nineteen, and and then you know when we were working that process, we were talking to a lot of people, um, and as usual, like you know you get a lot of. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll see. And I get, get a lot of no's. You got to do a lot of a lot of selling to try to raise. And and, you know, then COVID hit. Somehow TBC found us. We didn't find them. Um, they actually solicited us. And, you know, we set up a meeting. We had a conversation. They obviously were. I don't know if they had actually when the time that they spoke to us, I don't know if they actually had finalized the investment in GrowFlow, but but they obviously were searching and looking into the cannabis industry. You know, they're primarily, they're a software shop, they're a SaaS shop, but they were a growth yeah. equity fund, but they were looking, they were starting to look into cannabis. And we had a good, really good meeting. And then, you know, and that led to another meeting with the partner, uh, with one of the managing partners. And, and you know, they liked what we were doing. You know, we were growing at a significant rate. We were adding customers. We were growing our average revenue per customer. They, the metrics looked good. Um, and we actually, although we closed the deal in August, I think we actually, you know, came to terms in May. And when we came to terms and, and it was right in the heart of COVID, but, you know, we were continuing to grow during COVID. So, so therefore there wasn't a lot of hesitation on their part and, you know, to TVC's credit, you know, they, you know, they they did exactly what they said they were going to do. So um, it worked really well there. They've been a great partner as well. Uh, Jeb Spencer, who's, one of, the, one of the two founders of the firm and one of the managing partners is on our board. He's, he's a great guy to have on our board. Um, good, so good software experience can really help us. So, you know, they've been, they've been a terrific partner as well. What's, we've been very lucky that, you know, each of the investor partners that we've brought on, you know, you know follow through on their commitments and have been great partners throughout the process.
0: Great. and and with covid would you say that you know it impacted your your business positively negatively or, or kind of you know you've been on the same sort of projection you have had uh, regardless?
1: no so it, it it affected us both positively and negatively. so on the retail side um, our core business it was it was a net positive there were you know, we, you know, our existing clients were leveraging our platform even more because they had to do a lot more communication during COVID. So that, that was a net positive. There was about a month and a half or two months of a slowdown in sales, but then sales really started picking up in April and May again, even during COVID, which, um, you know, I found interesting. I thought there was going to be a slowdown in sales for a lot longer, but sales picked up. Where we got hurt during COVID is we were launching, a marketing platform for wholesalers and brands and obviously launching something completely new uh, during COVID was a lot more difficult and we found it to be more difficult so you know we wanted to launch it in March and we actually did launch it with a small beta in March but it took us so much longer to to learn from the beta and to get it off the ground so I would say parts of our you know parts of what was going on for us was positive parts of it was negative
0: Got it, yeah, you guys have, have a really good brand count, you know,
1: 5,000 existing brands, so.
0: Well, that, like, that, that's
1: you know, the target. That's we don't have them as customers. That's the, that's the universe of brands that are out there to go get.
0: Got it, got it, okay. Uh, that's a good clarification there. I'm just looking at uh, the slide from the investment presentation uh, and that's, that's a future slide. Um, all right, how about, you know, you guys have, have three offices, uh, in Seattle, Toronto, Bogoton, where that's the headquarter. Um, you know, another impact of the COVID that I've been noticing is you have a lot of tech talent that's been sort of moving from you know parts of the Valley, California, but but maybe other sort of popular tech hubs and into to Miami uh, and Florida. So, have you seen some benefit from a talent standpoint um, in in sort of you know the Miami folks who are maybe going a little bit further north and and you know choosing maybe to either uh, go live in Boca Raton or at least just, you know being able to. To target those candidates uh, since they're not too far away.
1: Yeah, so I feel like when it when it comes to engineering talent, like, yes, they are moving away from Northern California and they're moving to other places. But because of the remote work environment, you know, they could be seeking jobs anywhere. So just because we're in Boca and they may be living in Florida, doesn't necessarily mean you know we're going to get them uh, because you know companies from all over the country, literally all over the world are looking for great engineers wherever they are and letting them work at home. So, so we haven't necessarily found a big positive impact, although the tech scene in South Florida is definitely improving and there are more tech startups there are more tech companies, there's more talent coming down, but when it comes to engineering in particular, it is still, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough slog to get, you know, the amount of good engineers that you need. So we're, we're doing a number of different things. So one we're doing is we are hiring, engineers, both in the U.S. and in Canada, because when we we made an acquisition in February of 20, which gave us a Canadian uh, presence, so we were able to hire in Canada. So we are looking to hire, we have, I think, one or two engineers in Montreal, we're looking to hire in Toronto. So now we're focusing on the Canada market, we're focusing on the U.S. market. And now since we brought in a new CTO about seven months ago, has a lot of experience in offshore we're also adding offshore talent as well. So we have a team in Ukraine and we have a team in India. So we are, you know, we're, we're trying to be as nimble as possible because, you know, we, we need, you know, we have probably 10 recs, 15 recs for engineering still. And, and we're looking to fill them with obviously talented people and we're trying and we're hybriding the model where we're having people in Florida, we're having people remote in the U.S., on the same time zone as us but we're also having people in in europe and in india as well
0: great and, and, and yeah that's a great transition to so the next question i want to talk to you about you know i'm sure um a part of that talent you know, attraction and retention is this go public transaction which you announced earlier this week um, you know walk us through why the decision to go public now versus staying private longer you know to so believe companies software companies can raise a, CRC, a CRC D. Um, a private longer. So,
1: kind of, you know, what what
0: are the benefits that you're looking at to, to go public at this time?
1: Yeah. So, the main the main reason we we decided to go public, and, and this speaks to something else we were chatting about earlier, which is, you know, we've done a very good job at acquiring customers. We have over a thousand customers, and we add somewhere between, you know, forty to sixty new customers a month, depending depending on the month. So, you know, we have a good sales and marketing machine that brings new retailers and new brands and wholesalers, you know, into the, into the spring big family. And, and what we're looking at doing is we're saying, okay, what else are these people buying from a marketing and advertising technology standpoint? What other services, what other technology are they buying? Because what we want to start thinking about is how do we add additional products and services, not only to grow our revenue per customer, but to make the customers more sticky. And, you know, so we feel, especially now in cannabis, there's, you know, there's been more activity in 2021. We think there's going to be even more in 2022 in terms of consolidation and, you know, companies, you know, acquiring other companies to add capability and add products. We felt the best path to do that was, not to do it, was to be able to do it with a public currency, a public stock currency versus private. We felt it was going to be more efficient to be able to go out and consolidate, knowing that you have a public currency where everybody knows what you're worth. So when you're negotiating opportunities to bring new companies and new technology into the family, you know you're you're eliminating a whole set of issues in terms of okay, you know first we have to figure out what they're worth, and then especially if you're giving them stock, then they have to figure out what you're worth, right? So at the end of the day, we want to try to. Um, you know, make it more efficient where there's no question about what we're worth. The market's going to tell you every day what we're worth. So now let's figure out what you're worth. And let's see if there's an opportunity here, a strategic opportunity to bring you on board. So we did, we started the process in January. We actually were looking at uh, a Series C as an alternative. We were looking at SPAC. So we were looking at all of it. We actually hired Jeffries as our banker um, and they helped us navigate this process. And we had a number of meetings with what I'll call target series C investors. We had a number of meetings with SPACs and we just, you know, when the board got together and we talked about it, we felt uh, if we want to be a consolidator and we want to be efficient in our non-organic growth strategy, this would probably be a better way to go.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, And going back to to the customer point, right, you have a thousand customers or clients, as you call it, with over 2.300 retail locations for an average Mm -hmm. of 2.3 locations per client. Um, So, you know, obviously what you have to pay attention to is the MSOs the them as a customer base as they continue to consolidate and expand beyond location. Um, You know, how many of, call it the top 20, 25 or or so MSOs or however we might define it, um, do you have as customers? If you don't have them as customers, you know, how do you get them? Because that certainly will will help sort of that that metric.
1: Yeah, sure. So we actually have, uh, we have over 80% of them. Uh, so we've done a very good job at soliciting and and servicing the big MSOs. So I completely agree with you. The MSOs are going to be the guys that are buying up the small and mid-sized guys, and and we're seeing we're seeing that already, um, and it benefits us already, right? So whether it's a, a Cureleaf or whether it's a GTI or whether it's a TrueLeaf or whether it's a Verano, you know, these are clients of ours that uh, or Columbia Care, and. You know, sometimes, you know, a, you know, a company like a Columbia Care or GTI is buying a chain that's already a customer that makes it easy. Sometimes they're buying someone who's not a customer, which is great because they usually migrate them to our platform, which is excellent. So, you know, we've made a concerted effort to not only build our technology that would be very well suited for the larger MSO but we've built a service organization that's suited to the larger MSO. So we have a large client success team. We have an enterprise client success team that just focuses on enterprise clients. We have a engineering team that's kind of like a rapid response engineering team. So when an MSO wants something that's a little bit off the beaten path from our standard platform offering, we have the ability to deliver it um, in what I'll call, you know. a a good timeline. So therefore they're not sitting here for eight months waiting for something. So we've actually done things specifically for the MSO, because I'm a big believer that this industry will continue to consolidate and you want to be on the side of the MSOs. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I, you know, saw in the case study in the investor deck, um, I think you have one featured from the cannabis, which is is Columbia care. So it certainly makes sense Mm -hmm. to kind of highlight that. Um, You know, next up, I'd love to sort of, you know, dive into, um, you know, there's a point that is made in the investor presentation around you guys being the, you know, sort of platform for cannabis software to roll up others. And you did reference, you know, what other technologies are your customers buying? Um, so, So, you know, it sounds like you would like to strengthen the platform based on, inorganic acquisition Um, so you know can you speak to you know where those sort of you know verticals are
1: um that you are looking to potentially um bolt onto your platform yeah sure so there's um we're looking uh, on the data side i think as uh clients get more sophisticated uh they want to consume and absorb more data and they want help not only consuming and absorbing it but they want help in us kind of like organizing it in a way that is actionable for them. So the one area that we're looking to continue to improve and beef up are the the data side of our offerings. And you know, we have a good number of data offerings. I would I would honestly say that our data offering is a B or a B plus. It's not an A yet. So we need to we need to get our data offering to become an A. And you know, it hasn't been a big issue yet because know so many of our customers like either our large customers just want us to you know you know give them the ability to access their data and pull it into their own environment or the smaller guys you know the offer the the data offerings that we have have been sufficient for them but we know that that's not going to continue to be the case so data is one area that we want to focus on the other area that we want to focus on is you know our platform was built to help retailers retain and grow revenue with existing customers it was not built To help them acquire new customers. So another area that we're focused on to continue to add, you know, close the loop is add capability around customer acquisition. So that's advertise, mobile advertising, you know, in-store advertising, things of that nature to not only help them grow business with existing customers, but to help them gain new customers. So that's another big area of focus for us. That's a second. So those are two, you know, there's a couple more, but those are two in particular that that we're focused on because we feel if we could bolt on those two capabilities and make those two aspects A's in addition to what we're doing, we think we'll have a kind of a wider offering and a stickier offering for clients. Got it. And
0: then, you know, to, to dive a bit more into that on the revenue point, um, you guys grew 58% or are expecting to, 58% this year over 2020, and then continue 60 to 65% growth until 2024, also improving gross profit margins from 73% today to high 70s, um, 78%. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the mix there of organic versus inorganic to reach those revenue and, and gross margin targets?
1: So, so what you're talking about is all organic. We didn't include any non-organic in that. So all the non-organic is, is on top of that. So we expect that, that growth rate and that margin enhancement to be based on organic growth and uh, the, you know, are a lot of that, you know, and there's two main reasons for that, right. So, or three, so on the retail side of the business, you have new States opening up all the time. So you have new prospects to call and to add to the portfolio. I find one of the best things about this industry is that there's some there's a new prospect to call literally every day. I mean, there's just new stores popping up all the time. So, so one, you know, like if you take New York as an example, so yes, New York has theoretically legalized for adult use, but it's not an adult use market yet. You know, licenses really yeah. haven't been issued. Stores aren't built. You know, so when New York gets going, you're going to have thousands of stores available to go get. When New Jersey gets going, you'll have, tons of stores. Pennsylvania, you know, when they flip from medicinal to recreational or adult use, you'll have a, a lot more stores. So one is there's always new markets. Two, when a, when a state flips from medicinal to recreational, not only does it grow uh, the store count because there are more stores that get open, but the population that can access cannabis is so much larger that even our existing customers, we grow revenue somewhere between 70 to 110% with an existing customer when a state flips from medicinal to recreational because their database grows so much. And part of our revenue is driven off of communication, which obviously is driven off of the size of their database. So those two things will help us. And then the third area is the brands platform that we've built, which basically is, is giving brands the ability to serve up content to the retailers that sell their product. And then when the retailer takes that content and delivers that content in a message to their customers, the brands will pay for that access. So we launched the brand's platform in earnest in early 21. We were baiting it at 20 and we expect uh, large growth coming, you know, significant growth coming in 22 um, and 23 uh, from the brand's platform. So that's where that 60, 65% comes from. And then we're expecting the non-organic growth to bolt on on top of that.
0: Yeah. That, that's great
1: um, to, to be able to do that
0: organically. Um, so it seems like there's still a lot of possibilities to, to even increase that number if you choose the inorganic route. Um, you know, one, one thing I wanna dig in more to that we've been referencing throughout the call is, is sort of the brands platform. So today there's, there's 68 total brands that are our customers. Um, but, you know, as we mentioned earlier, you're targeting 5,000. What makes a brand, you know, the right customer for that offering today? You know, is it a certain size? Is it certain states they're operating in? Is it, you know, they have to have a direct-to-consumer offering today? You know, how do you sort of increase that that brand customer base?
1: Yes, actually it's so we're looking at we're looking into the states that we have a lot of retail presence because what makes the brand's platform go are you know significant retail presence in the state, which has significant consumer presence in the state on the spring big platform. So if you take states like California, Washington, Colorado, Arizona, Illinois, Michigan, um, Maryland, states that we have really good market share where we have a lot of retailers and hence through that, by extension, we have a lot of consumers. Um, those are the states that we're focusing on in terms of where we wanna go get brands to sign up. Because again, the, the whole value proposition for the brand is brands today have a real challenge in getting their message directly to the consumer. They don't have the same avenues that you know brands outside of cannabis have. It's more limited. So they want to be able to continue to figure out, okay, how do I get my message to the consumer? Well, what better way to get their message to the consumer than getting content that the brand creates into the text feed of the consumer... But it's sent by the retailer. So therefore, the retailer who already has that customer database, that customer's already opted into that retailer's marketing program, the brand can create the content, the retailer grabs the content, and they take it and send it to the consumer. So everybody wins here. The the brand wins because they now have the ability to influence a lot more consumers when they do walk into a store to buy their product. And the retailer wins because they're getting the brand to pay for their communication because it's a co-op, right? The brand's paying for it. The retailer won't pay when they use that message. But yet the consumer is still coming into that retailer store to buy. So, so it's a win-win for everybody. So in terms of states, it's the states that we have the most presence. In terms of the type of brands, we're looking for brands that are well-funded because at the end of the day, brands that are just starting out, and may not have a lot of funding and may not have a lot of what I'll call marketing resource, you know, this platform takes a little work on their behalf, you know, for them to do. They got to create the content, they got to pay for it. So, so therefore we're looking for, you know, well-funded brands. Doesn't have to be that they're like, yes, MSOs that have brands are great prospects, but it could be, you know, brands that just are well-funded and then, Uh, have a good marketing team that have the ability to take advantage of this. So that's when we think about what brands to go after. We're thinking about the states that we have the most presence, and we're thinking about brands, whether MSOs or not, that have the capability to take advantage of the platform. Um, We know over time, more and more brands will have that capability. It's still very early um, for brands, but, uh, but that's what we're focused on.
0: Right, because, you know, what what I'm seeing on, on that side of the market from a fundraising standpoint is it's still a bit challenging, um, you know, MSOs still certainly don't give the same weight to brands as we've seen in other industries, like in, in alcohol industry, right, where, where brands really matter or other beverage companies. Um, so at the same time, you're trying to grow your brand customers. You kind of have to wait for them to, to mature, right? I don't know what the, the minimum revenue might be, but if I'm going out 5 or $10 million uh, for a brand, you kind of have only so many brands today that might be at, at revenue minimum to then be able to look at this and say, okay, let's use Spring Bay to acquire customers to then really increase our revenue. Um, so, you know, I, I think that will come, um, but today it's, it's definitely a, a challenge environment on the fundraising side.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, it's, you know, and for our salespeople, like, you know, what they need to do is they need to be looking at you know the the best way to do it is you you know there's a lot of information state by state that tells you okay who are the top 10 flower brands who are the top 10 concentrate brands or the top 10 you know so you know so there are lists of top brands based on sales and obviously we're going to target those brands that are doing the most business because those are theoretically the ones that you know have more infrastructure have more capital have the ability to spend more on marketing so so that's how we're approaching it you know ultimately we think that you know, the cannabis brand is going to be akin to what you were talking about with alcohol and, and other categories where the brand, the brand will matter, the brand name will matter. Brands will be spending more and more marketing dollars to, you know, to influence consumer behavior, but it's still early for sure.
0: Great, and, and you know, I want to just end here on one last question, uh, given sort of your, you know, perch view as, as a cannabis software company where you're working with so many customers, you're able to see a lot of data, um, you know, what's what's an insight you can share from you know the last five years of building Spring Bay and, and you know, some of the data and insights that you've had access to um, that, that you think might be meaningful that people might not Yeah,
1: I, I feel like the main I think you know what what we find all the time is like, you know, what people think is the the quote unquote who the cannabis consumer is is really different than what who the cannabis consumer really is. I think, you know, can you know cannabis is becoming um, a much more accepted you know, you know, product, both in terms for recreational use, but also for medicinal use. So a lot of, you know, the prototype of for the, you know, or what people think, you know, what a cannabis consumer looks like, is not necessarily what they what they look like, you know, you have, you know, moms with kids, you got, you know, seniors, you have, you know, it's just, it's just so interesting, you know, to see how, you know, as it's legalized, you know, the, you know, who is coming into the store, who's buying the product, what they're buying, Um, is just so different than what you would have thought. You would have thought that, you know, it was an illegal product before and there were certain people that were buying it illegally. So those are the same people that are gonna buy it legally. That's not the case at all. I mean, I think uh, it's becoming a much more accepted, you know, product again, both for recreational and medicinal use. And I feel like that's gonna continue and more and more people are gonna get comfortable with with the idea of, hey, cannabis is not a bad thing. It could be a good thing. Um, You know, it could be an alternative for recreational purposes to other, to wine or to alcohol, things of that nature. And I think you're going to find more and more categories of, of people or customers that are going to get uh, excited and interested in the product.
0: Right. And I'm, I'm sure that's that's you know why your product does a lot of different segmentations since there's not you know one uh, customer profile that you know 10, 20 years ago we might have thought of there's so there's a lot of different 100%. segmentations today.
1: 100 percent
0: Awesome. Well really appreciate the time Jeff. Um, Again, uh, congrats on getting to this point. I'm really thankful
1: uh, for your time and, and hearing the story. Thank you so much as well. Really appreciate it and enjoyed being with you. Thanks, Seth.